Welcome to the When in Doubt Reboot Podcast, presented to you by Q Associates, the power of partnership. In a world with bad actors, what are you to do? I'll tell you what to do. When in Doubt Reboot. Welcome to another episode of the When in Doubt Reboot Podcast. I'm Art Pugach, Chief Technology Officer of Q Associates, along with Ray O'Donovan, Project Coordinator, also for Q Associates. And today we're going to talk about bad actors, but not the type you see on the big screen. Take it away, Moraine. I've been in Q for about over a year. And at the start of this podcast, Art had mentioned bad actors. And I was thinking to myself, well, what do you mean? People that don't need Oscars, people that don't need Grammys, like, what, what are they here for? But I guess learning that it's a term used for people who prey upon user data or company data or personal data, I thought it was very interesting. And it kind of made it a lot easier for me. Somebody that's not, I'm technical, but I wouldn't say I'm technical in the industry I would that I work in. So I think it was a, it's a good way to at least bridge that as a mind helper. Maybe when we were kids using like anagrams, is it anagrams? Acronyms, acronyms. Acronyms, thank you. Three-letter acronym, the classic for, for IT. Every IT thing has a three-letter acronym. But yeah, so I guess my first question was how is the, de- is there a degree of bad actors? Is it more of a spectrum? Degrees depend on what the bad actors are looking, mm-hmm. looking to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, there are several different types. There are ones that are simply out there for money and view it as a business model. For whatever reason, their business model is to go into people's companies, hijack their data, or in cases, not really even hijack their data, just, you know, encrypt their data Mm -hmm. and then ransom it. And they don't care what the data is. All they know is that somebody needs it. Somebody wants it. It's important to them. And if it's important to them, they'll get paid. Typically, is that a trend? Is that a yeah. new trend of encrypting data? Because I think that was also kind That's of one not, of my it's other... It's not so new. That's one of the more frequent things that we see at a business level. So and when did that level. kind of start coming around? Like when did encrypting... Not that it hasn't always been around or was it like... I think it became more and more common as cryptocurrency began to rise in value. And I've, at least I've seen more of it since mm-hmm. then. I mean, keep in mind back in the day, and you know, by the day I mean like, you know maybe 20 years ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, before people were encrypting data, typically what you'd have is you'd have a bad actor who would put a virus on someone's machine using mm-hmm. something like a .js file, which is a JavaScript, mm-hmm. claiming that it was a photo of some celebrity. And what happens, you clicked on this .js file, and it would uh, run a script, and it would put a virus on your machine. And what typically it would do, it would destroy whatever content you had in your machine. And basically, unless you had a backup, you were done. And that's uh, essentially it. But there was no situation in which the person who could do that would say, hey, you know, I can use this ransom to make money. Basically, the only thing you could do was essentially piss someone off and just sort of almost have like a mm-hmm. you know, power trip to say, hey, look, I can hack your machine. Ha ha. Then sort of the next step to it, you know, as things evolved, came saying, hey, you know what? Maybe I can use to steal someone's identity. It's always that sort of nightmare where someone's taking like, oh, some hackers going to come onto your machine one. and control your machine and can do all this stuff and can spy on you. And and yeah, I mean, so certainly people installed spyware. So instead of the, the JS stuff, installing stuff where it would destroy all your data, it would then be able to spy on your data. So it's just monitoring what you do. Monitoring what you do or, or more to the point, in a lot of cases, you know, you click on a button to, you know, change your password. Yeah. You think it's a safe thing. You click on a link to a site that you think is secure. And once you're checking account information, you know, it's going to steal your information that way. 
I mean, they used to do things where they would use spyware, but spyware is less common because what they found is that, hey, it's if you just have someone click a link, it's a lot easier. The other reason why it became less common yeah. are things like um, in the Microsoft world, something called UAC, another three-letter acronym, or something called user account control, mm -hmm. where if a, an end user clicks on one of these links and it tries to run an app, it will then say, you need rights to run this app. Uh, unfortunately, if an end user is an admin of their machine, I would say more often than not, unless the end user has been educated on what not to do, mm. they may click yes on the button because people just click yes. Suddenly information is gathered and, you know, they grab information or on machines that are admin where users don't have the admin rights. They say, oh, you need an admin account in order mm -hmm. to do this. And because of that, because that's become much more common over time, especially in a corporate network, essentially it makes spyware less common. Why go through the process of installing spyware on a machine if you can get get someone to click a link. So it's a type of thing where as this has evolved, but I think mm -hmm. the tactics of bad actors have evolved. And that's just one thing to keep in mind of. Now that being said, as time went on, you take a look at sort of the crypto bad actors. And again, these are people that encrypt information and ransom it. And that's mm. the more common thing let's do on corporate networks. Sure, you know, the sort of like the small time crook or whatever will go for, you know, a little <laughs> bit of identity theft here and there. But the big time crook will go to encrypt data. And so what we've seen over time, these crypto pirates, as it were, they will install an app or they'll basically mm -hmm. gain access to a victim network or a corporate network through an account that maybe did corporate network mm -hmm. IT or just didn't know was there or they weren't monitoring or uh, one of these other things, directory hygiene is very important. Know who your end users are. Mm -hmm. So if you know who your end users are, you can say, okay, that person doesn't belong here. Why is that person there? And then you can, you know, lock that account out. Oftentimes it's not audited as much. They don't see it. An account gets through that way. They're sitting there for a while, they install their app. The scanning isn't as good as it should be. And they just wait. They sit and wait and they wait for the right time to go ahead and act. And typically it's at a holiday or when there's a turnover in staff. And that's when they hit. Jeez. And that time is when people are most vulnerable because you know, people aren't in the office. The situation happens where they'll encrypt it and they'll say, okay, you need to give us this amount of uh, cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and we will give you your data back or we'll give you the key to decrypt your data. And in most cases, that'll work. They will decrypt your data. But unfortunately, in some cases, they don't. And those cases are ones in which people are just basically just out there just to uh, cause chaos or cause havoc. Because one of the ways that, the, that crypto pirates do their thing is they will put package in update applications. So as an example, Jeez, uh, I've seen them they're use, hiding it. I've seen them use Google Updater, the Solar Winds uh, hack from a few years ago, which is a monitoring software. It was put out through an update that looked legitimate, and that's how access was obtained. That's something that I know IT firms, software companies have done a, a good job as far as locking down more and more. But certainly a few years ago, that was a common way that bad actors would use to get into systems. Most bad actors are after mm. one thing, it's money. Some are after chaos, some are after information, like WikiLeaks as an example. You know, some people can say, oh, it's a good actor, it's a bad actor, but the fact of the matter is, is you're talking about someone who hacked um, government information and put mm -hmm. it out on the internet. And whether or not you agree or disagree with maybe what the governments were doing or what the purpose of WikiLeaks was at the end of the day, that's a, technically a bad actor because this is someone stealing information. Mm -hmm. Same sort of thing. You would take a look at someone like Edward Snowden. 
he was the one that you know stole information from the National Security Administration, former okay. NSA contractor. Different than WikiLeaks. Different than WikiLeaks. But and, same vein of um, like stealing information. Correct. So what okay. he did is, is he was a contractor, bit of a computer nerd. Mm. He took information out from the NSA, not because he wanted to use it. The NSA um, is the National American Security? Essentially, it's uh, cybersecurity, or you might okay. say, along with the NSA, the CIA, and the FBI, they all sort of work together, or are supposed to work together to collect information. Part of the issue, which I always thought was funny to it was, is the amount of information the NSA was collecting, is that it's so much information that nobody could go through to it, get mm. through to it all the time, make any sense of it. Now, the interesting thing is, is with the advances in artificial intelligence or AI, you can now have AI look at this information and then start to decode it and start to do modeling with it to maybe say, okay, this is a bad actor, this is a potential bad actor, this is a potential bad actor. And it starts to look something more like a film such as, I don't know, have you ever seen or heard of Minority Report? Minority Report? It's a Steven Spielberg film from the early 2000s starring Tom Cruise. I bring it up because there's the idea behind it is that there are certain individuals that are known as precogs or people that can see the future and what these group of people do together is they're in this pool and they use their mind as almost like a hive mind to determine who's going to commit a future crime and then um, the government then arrests these people who you know potentially will commit a crime that mm-hmm. these precogs have determined now if you take ai and the nsa information the nsa collects on citizens and people and so forth like this and you program an ai a certain way it's not unreasonable to think that ai might say okay, this person, this individual, maybe someone who's likely to commit a crime or to be a terrorist, so you want to watch this person. Now, it doesn't mean that person will, but it's saying based on this person's, let's say, particular search habits okay. or what this person Damn. has been buying, it can say this sort of stuff. And that's the, that's the idea behind it. And that's sort of this scary thing, this idea behind a security state, which people are very concerned about with artificial intelligence. Admittedly, this is an extension of searching for bad actors, mm-hmm. but part of Edward Snowden's thing was, is he could see sort of what was going on with this. And what he wanted to do was, is he wanted to make people aware of a couple of things. Number one, he wanted to make people aware of that something like this was going on and could happen. And maybe it's giving him a little too much credit, but this this is sort of, I haven't read as much about it. I'm only really seeing the documentary, mm-hmm. Citizen Four. And okay. essentially it's interviewing him in Hong Kong. He's talking about it. And biggest issue was he was naive and he wasn't looking to commit treason. He did. He wasn't looking to betray his country. He did. So essentially, the systems in our government aren't as up to date or as new as we like or cutting edge as we like to think. Mm-hmm. So as an example, I've had relatives who've worked in the State Department, and they've pointed out to me that part of the reason why several secretaries of states had email servers in their houses, as opposed to using the State Department email servers, is because the State Department email servers were such old technology, they were impossible to secure. So how do they have them use secure email? They built servers at their houses. Is that the and best solution? Just, I no. Mean, it just, you know, it's... It becomes a personal email server, but... Yeah, it's like, it's it's a good idea on paper because, like, if it were, like, me building my own internet server, like, I'm not doing anything. Like, this is, like, government officials. These are, like, high, high, high up people having their own, like, off-the-grid playground, essentially. Oh, Julian Assange was the other guy that did WikiLeaks, yeah? Julian Assange's motivation, I think, was to just be a quote-unquote disruptor and disrupt things. In Edward Stone's case, he wanted people to be aware of how easy it was to grab the data Mm -hmm. and what data was being grabbed. But 
the fact of the matter is, is what he should have done is he should have gone up the line chain of command with it. You don't like a certain job or something like that thing, or if you want to be a whistleblower, that's fine. What you don't do is steal something from the government and expect to get away with it. Because if the government's doing something wrong, it's fine to tell people they're doing something wrong, but there's a way of doing it. You're going to do it in such a way where, you know, it's like, hey, look, here's the big issue, right? Okay, I don't like what you guys are doing. Okay, I'm going to let you know that first. But the second thing I really want you to know, and this is where ethical hacking comes in, this information anybody can get. I remember when they did a 60 minutes report, they're showing the machines on it were like Windows XP and we we're Jeez. already up like Windows 7. So they were, you know, older machines that would be easier to hack. It's very easy for Edward Snowden to reveal information or get information out of the NSA at the time. The problem was, is he did that without going to the proper channels mm -hmm. uh, and without first saying, hey, you know, you guys aren't that secure. And that's what ended up getting him in trouble. Now, what's ever happened since then, with he's behind Russian borders. I guess that's the thing, is that if you ever see a security issue internally, the first thing I would say to do, and the lesson from it is, is to let your superiors know and to let your mm -hmm. team know that you see an issue. And this, you could say, well, this is a government issue. How does that relate to me? Well, it can relate to a corporate environment very simply. If you're a junior IT person and it's your job to you know, take care of the, what the directory and you see a user there that shouldn't be there or you see some mm. suspicious activities, you make sure that other members of your team know. You may not have the right to take care of it. You may not have the access to take care of it. You may not have the authority. But if you go to the people who do, you can work on a solution, you can come up with a solution and you can fix it. Because typically speaking at a corporate level, it's a harder hack than it would be at a small company level. Hmm. So that's something to always be concerned about. So if you're a small company, it doesn't just the same rules apply. Make sure you know who your users are. You know, it, it's this it's this sad thing where I remember many years ago with a client, their IT director was asking for more resources. And he was told uh, very bluntly by his bosses that uh, their company wasn't an IT company. It was hmm. whatever they did. And that's true. But you do have to put the, put the investment into IT and into IT professionals. Otherwise, it could bite you in a very big way. Of course. And I think that's something that, unfortunately, has taken a very long time for many companies to realize. When you're investing in an IT person or an IT department, you are investing in not only in people that will be able to keep your machines up and running, but also people that will be able to protect your data. And that's uh, something that you can never underspend on. Obviously, you could, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cheap out on it. It's it's the, it's the epitome of being penny wise and pound foolish. Same sort of mm. way where, when uh, a lot of uh, companies used to have their own uh, small server rooms, they wouldn't necessarily air conditioning it, and the server rooms would overheat. The servers would go down. Well, you know, you you know, yeah, I have this beautiful nice server, but if you don't air condition and keep it cool, mm -hmm. it's not going to run the way you like. And that's um, that's even my point. The other our other interview when you were interviewing me about building PCs, like it's plastic, it's wires, it's you know, it's conductive material. It's all gonna get hot. Like electricity's running through it, and it's with a huge server room. I can only imagine like the amount of like the. I mean, I've heard it walking by, like the. You well, can just the, hear everything like whirring away. Well, the interesting thing is with with <clears throat> with you know pricing this stuff out. It's different now because most people, well, I don't say most, but a lot of a lot of companies don't have their own dedicated server rooms anymore. 
the one cost that, that would oftentimes not come into into play was the cost of electricity, the cost of cooling the room. It would just be about the cost of what the server was itself. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it would be the cost of the backup. Oh, we forgot about that. Oh, we forgot about, oh, yeah, when you get the cost of software to secure it. Oh, what about getting in firewalls? Oh, wait, we have to get cost of security appliances to secure the, the network, you know, things like that. There's always different things like that. Unfortunately, for the longest time, the thought when it came to just, you know, oh, I need a server, it was just the server that's the only cost. There's a lot more cost than that. And that that oftentimes is is underestimated. It's the whole idea where you just buy a server, you set it up and you forget it. That doesn't wash anymore. And it really shouldn't have, it really never should have. Because certainly I can see there are times you'd be in on a place that had something called a small business server, which was a Microsoft offering many years ago where it put email, database, everything mm -hmm. you could ever want in a single <laughs> server, which is not the way you want to go. Now, admittedly, for a small business, it sounds like a fantastic idea. Oh, I get everything in one. But here's the problem. You get everything in one, that one machine gets hacked. Guess what? Everything gets hacked. That's not the best way to go. No. Uh, which is why redundancy is 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 the way to go in these cases. You know, obviously having you know a virtual machine on different hardware, having you know security, having MFA, multi-factor authentication. So even if someone does guess a password, they can't get into it. It's very important to to keep your environment as secure as possible. That being said, bad actors will get into mm -hmm. your system if they want to get into your system. So the the second thing that comes down to it, even with MFA, even with your hygiene, you want to make sure you're always monitoring. And one of the nice things about the, something like Microsoft Azure, which is, you know, an, an intra ID, which are the, the basics of, um, you know, Microsoft's mm -hmm. cloud products, is they do have monitoring built into it. And, you know, sometimes it's not turned on by default. It's gotten better by having a lot of these defaults and security defaults being turned on. So you will get notified. At Q, we turn on these defaults, we get notices. Anything mm -hmm. looks funny, we get an alert. We, you know, we make sure to, to monitor the hygiene of the directory. We also make sure to monitor the logins, failed and successful, because we want to see, you know, what's what's going on. The same way we manage devices with Intune, we want to make sure we know what's going on with the end user devices. Last thing we need to do, we don't necessarily care. I guess you could say what's on your machine. It's what your machine is doing. That's what we care about. And we want to make sure your machine's safe. So that and that's what it comes down to as far as trying to prevent you know, bad actors and prevent certain type of things that uh, that take place in, in this mm -hmm. day and age. Well, I want to thank, thank Art for being a lovely interviewee. This has been the When in Doubt Reboot podcast sponsored and associated with Q Associates. I'm Moreno Donovan, Project Coordinator. And I'm Art Pugach, CTU as always. Until next time. Thanks, everybody. If you like this podcast, make sure to give us five stars, leave us a review, and share it with your friends and family. Follow Q on socials, which are linked in the description below. And if you have any topic suggestions, questions, or comments, leave them in the Q&A below. You've been listening to the When in Doubt Reboot podcast, brought to you by Q Associates, the power of partnerships.